Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 51. We're smack dab in the middle of our three-week anniversary bonanza, and I've got even more pod pals, phrases, and etymology for you today. Just like last week, I'll introduce the clips, play them, and then play my responses to them. So, who's joined us for today's episode? That would be Mariah from the 600 Second Saga podcast, Shelby and Jenny from the Wives' Tales podcast, and Ember and Quinn from the Fiercely Altered Perspective podcast. So, what do you get when you combine three shows, five people, and a whole bunch of phrases? A wonderfully eclectic episode full of origins, history, and more. Alright, toppers, first up is Mariah from 600 Second Saga. She sent in a clip full of science fiction phrases and words, all woven into an etymological trip through history. Let's hear a bit about her show and learn from who and when many sci-fi phrases got their start. This fabulous podcast and all the rest you listen to come to you through the unthinkable complexity that is a consensual hallucination experienced daily by billions of legitimate operators in every nation that we call cyberspace. A phrase from William Gibson in 1984, cyberpunk sci-fi author extraordinaire. Science fiction is filled with language that shapes and is in turn shaped by science and culture. Sci-fi is a powerful form of the best technology, language. Words help form thoughts and drive us toward the future. A future filled with androids, from Ephraim Chambers in 1728, nanotech, from Nikolai Leskov in 1881, and maybe even time travel, from H.G. Wells in 1894. Hopefully we'll be able to travel into deep space from E.E. E. Doc Smith in 1934, with generation ships from E.C. Tubb in 1956, and possibly even become post-human from H.P. Lovecraft in 1936. But the most exciting thing is what concept, device, or state of being is being dreamed up by a sci-fi author who is going to spark the imagination of a scientist who is driven to create it. Check out 600 Second Saga, my science fiction and fantasy flash fiction podcast, to hear some imagination-sparking ideas, heartbreaking tales, laugh-out-loud funny moments, plus androids, nanotech, and lots of time travel all in 10 minutes or less every week. This has been Mariah Evix from 600 Second Saga. Thank you, Mariah. That was awesome. So many terms have come from writers, and as a writer, I love that. There's such a fantastic relationship between language and creativity, like she talked about. Language begets creativity, which in turn begets new language. I don't know about y'all toppers, but that just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. 
So Mariah told us who and when seven different science fiction terms came from. I don't really have anything to add to what she told us, but I will briefly touch on how science fiction got its name. I'd be willing to bet that pretty much anyone with access to podcasts has probably heard of the book that is believed to have created the genre we know today as science fiction. It was the now classic novel Frankenstein, written by Mary Shelley, which was published in 1818. But wait a second. Mariah mentioned that the term android was first used in 1728 by Ephraim Chambers. So, why then does Mary Shelley's monstrously popular book get the credit for many folks for spawning science fiction? Well, it's because before she wrote her book, stories that we would now call science fiction weren't called that. They were typically called scientific romances, which I kind of love. Can we bring that back? Anyway, her book, A Work of Fiction About a Scientist, ergo science fiction, brought the supernatural and spooky aspects into the genre that we know today. Now, the first story believed to be in the genre of science fiction, even though it wouldn't have been called that, is Gulliver's Travels, written in 1726 by Jonathan Swift. Now, we've heard from Mr. Swift before, in episode 31 and way back in episode number 1, so it's fitting that he's showing up in the anniversary bonanza. So, though it may not have been called science fiction, the genre has been around since at least the early 18th century. Now, this technically can't be proven, but many people credit Forrest Ackerman, an actor, literary agent, and editor, with shortening science fiction to sci-fi. In 1982, in an interview with the Los Angeles Times, he said that he came up with sci-fi in 1954. Quote, My wife and I were listening to the radio, and when someone said hi-fi, the word sci-fi suddenly hit me. If my interest had been soap operas, I guess it would have been cry-fi, or James Bond, spy-fi. End quote. Not gonna lie, toppers, that cracked me up when I first read it. Alright, so that's a brief history of the term science fiction. Thank you again, Mariah, for regaling us with the beginnings of so many great terms. You helped make the anniversary bonanza feel out of this world. And with that bad pun, let's hear from Shelby and Jenny over at the Wives Tales podcast. I'm Shelby. I'm Jenny. We are Wives Tales. And we normally talk about all kinds of creepy things, folklore, mystery, legends, creatures, and mysteries. But today we're here to try something new with Brisky, uh, and we're going to turn some phrases. So thanks for having us, and let's give this a try. All right. Well, I'm going to go first. Okay. And I always say, let's take it with a grain of salt. But I never really knew why. (laughs) Uh, So here's what I found. It means, of course, to stay skeptical, which I'm pretty good at that, I think. Yeah, I think you are. And um, I also found that it comes from the fact that food is more easily taken with a small amount of salt. Oh. Which I guess makes some sense. You know, everything needs some seasoning. Um, and maybe a little bit goes a long way. Right. So that makes sense too. Um, but I kind of, it seems like a relatively new term, yeah, new phrase, I guess, yeah. within the 20th century anyways. So other than that, I didn't really find much about the origin. So I kind of can't wait to see what Brisky finds. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, this is kind of a family thing for us, but, 
we always tell people that move or buy a new house or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that are that are redecorating or whatever that they need to have a horseshoe hung on the wall. Okay. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's always been a thing for us. Right. You know, you hang with the opening pointed yes. up to catch all of the to luck. Catch the luck, yeah. And I've heard that. So, I mean, I didn't find a whole lot about this, but it's not a decor thing. It's it's actually a real belief for a lot of okay. people. And, um, I mean, there are people that won't walk into a house without a horseshoe hanging over the door. I didn't know that. So, well, I hope she finds some cool information awesome. about it and tells us kind of where it came from and stuff like that. So, cool. thanks for having right. us. Thanks. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you, Shelby and Jenny. I'm going to go in the same order y'all did. So first, let's get salty. Now, I actually spoke briefly about this idiom way back in episode 7, but it was an episode with just a whole bunch of phrases in it, because it was the first time I did an episode that was all suggestions from toppers. I went over all the phrases in that episode pretty quickly, and I was still trying to find my footing in this whole podcasting thing. I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out, but hopefully things at least sound better than they did in episode 7. So let's break this down. Yes, to take something with a grain of salt means to be skeptical. And yes, it came about because salt can make things easier to eat. Now, I looked up some information on a grain of salt. And it's quite little, so you might be onto something with the whole a little goes a long way connection. A single grain of salt is approximately 0.33 millimeters on average. That's 0.03 centimeters, or about 0.012 inches. That is so tiny. Sometimes people say this idiom as take it with a pinch of salt, so I looked that up too. In old-timey times, a pinch basically just meant the amount you could grab between your thumb and forefinger, or the amount you could literally pinch. Now, technically, a pinch has been translated to be approximately an eighth of a teaspoon, but many people still cook with a pinch of something, no spoon required to measure. So both a grain and a pinch of salt are small quantities. And when using salt, a little bit does go a long way. So while there's no official connection between the sayings, taking things with a grain of salt, and a little goes a long way, It's not that far out there to assume a correlation between them. Now, this saying didn't actually appear in the 20th century. It's quite a bit older than that. Like, 19 centuries older. It had to be in use by at least 77 AD, because that's the year we find out, at least in print, that even a single grain of salt can make something easier to take. Pliny the Elder was a Roman army and navy officer a natural historian, and the author of the first ever encyclopedia, called Historia Naturalis. He compiled many things in his encyclopedia, one of which is the following antidote for poison. Here's a translated quote. Take two dried walnuts, two figs, and twenty leaves of rue. Pound them all together with the addition of a grain of salt. If a person takes this mixture fasting, he will be proof against all poisons for that day. End quote. So, I guess Mary Poppins had it wrong. It's salt, not sugar, that makes the medicine go down. And with that, let's hang a horseshoe. So, first of all, 
Why are horseshoes even seen as lucky? Well, we have the luck of the Irish to thank for that. According to an Irish story from old-timey times, a blacksmith was working in his shop one day, when out of the blue, the devil in disguise appeared before him and demanded that the smithy make him a pair of shoes. The blacksmith was able to recognize that the man-creature before him was the devil, so he nailed burning hot shoes to the devil's hooves, making sure to drive the nails as deep as possible. Once the devil walked away, his feet began hurting so bad that he ripped off the horseshoes and swore he'd never go around them again. Another version says that the blacksmith chained up the devil, trapping him in the painful shoes, until the devil promised to never enter a building with a horseshoe over the door. No matter which way this story actually played out, horseshoes are believed to keep the devil away, something most people would consider good luck. Hanging a horseshoe above the doorway of a house keeps the devil and any of his evil spirits from entering your home. Now, there are some variations of this story, but most seem to agree that this trickery took place in 969 AD. So, this belief has been around since at least that time. A slightly different origin is based on what horseshoes are made of. Metal. Specifically, iron. Folks in old-timey times were big believers in the idea that iron was magical and could keep evil at bay. Horseshoes, being made of iron, naturally had protective properties built in. There's plenty more possible origins out there, having to do with everything from the shape of a horseshoe to the number of nail holes in them. But these two seem to be the most popular. Now, as for the direction, as mentioned, most people hang them with the opening up, and that's because having the opening face up keeps all the good luck from spilling out. However, this is not the only way to get luck from a horseshoe. Some people contend that hanging a horseshoe with the opening facing down showers all who pass under it with luck. Because of the varying beliefs about which direction is the luckiest, some people hang one each way, so they can keep some luck and spread some to others. That's all I've got for this one. Thank you again, Shelby and Jenny, for being a part of my anniversary bonanza. Now, let's hear from our final pod pals for today, Ember and Quinn from Fiercely Altered Perspective. Hey everybody, we're Ember and Quinn with Fiercely Altered Perspective. Also known as the Fat Pod, how are you guys today? And we are so excited that Turn of Phrases is turning one year. Absolutely. And we were asked to put in a turn of phrase that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. And hey, um, is it happy anniversary or happy birthday or happy pod day? Yeah. Or happy day. <laughs> happy toppers. <laughs> so that's what we're all called. We're all toppers. <laughs> I don't know. Happy toppers day. We'll do that. Perfect. Perfect. But our turn of phrase is by, skin of our or skin of my teeth. Yeah, like by the skin of your teeth. Yep. And honestly, I'm not really sure where it came from. I have no idea. I have a clue of like when I use it. Yeah. What I'm meaning, but yeah. And what do you use it? Oh, like I made it to the grocery store by the skin of my teeth right yeah. before they closed. Yeah, like just barely there. Like just on point. 
Yeah, it's on point. Yeah. Which is also, but if you think about the literal part of it, that's kind of gross. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Grab a toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, it is time to brush your teeth if you have skin growing on it. Right. And I'm going to take a guess that I think, I want to say that it probably comes back into biblical times. I want to rem- I want to say that I remember learning that because there was a song that was talking about skin of, by the skin of your teeth. And I want to say somebody reminded me that it came from a Bible, but I don't remember. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. The only song with skin of my teeth that I can think of is from Megadeth, and I don't think that would be quoting the Bible too much, but whatever. Right? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Anyways, so we'll be curious to find out what the real answer is. And we just wanted to say thanks for letting us be a part. Absolutely. And happy Topper's Day. Yes. And thank you for all the cool turn of phrases. We now know what raining cats and dogs mean and all sorts of awesome things. So. Hell yeah. Happy anniversary day, whatever. <laughs> yes, happy day. All right. Bye. See ya. Thanks, Simber and Quinn. Now, first of all, let me just say that I love Happy Topper's Day. That's perfect. By the skin of your teeth does indeed mean really close or just barely. Now, while it would be disgusting if your teeth actually had skin, skin doesn't grow on teeth. Teeth do sometimes grow places they aren't supposed to, and just take my word on that and don't Google it. I saw some things. Anyway, since teeth don't grow skin, where did this idiom come from? Well, Ember was right. This one can be traced back to the Bible. This one is first found in print in the book of Job. Job had the original terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, and was subjected to many horrific trials by Satan. In chapter 19, verse 20, Job says, quote, my bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. End quote. Now, tooth enamel is typically quite thin. It usually doesn't get any thicker than 2.5 millimeters, or 0.09 inches. That's at the thickest parts, like on molars, so much of the enamel is even thinner. Skin thickness also varies from place to place and person to person but typically the thickest it gets is about 4 millimeters, or 0.2 inches. Taking this into consideration, in many cases tooth enamel is actually thinner than skin, so the idiomatic skin of your teeth does take up an extremely small amount of space. So it makes sense that nearly missing something is referred to by this thin skin of sorts. Now, since we know where this one came from, I really don't have any other information on it. I hope I cleared the air on this one for y'all, Ember and Quinn, and thank you again for taking part in the Anniversary Bonanza. Or should I say, in Happy Topper's Day. Alright, Toppers, since we're still in our special episodes, I'm not doing a metaphorical moment or a familiar quotation. So, that's gonna do it for episode 51. Thank you for lending me your ears yet again. I sincerely hope you enjoyed part two of the Anniversary Bonanza. If you don't already listen to 600 Second Saga, Wives' Tales, or Fiercely Altered Perspective, check them out. I listen to them all and love them. Next week is episode 52, and that means we'll officially hit 
the one-year mark. Come on back for more pod pals and phrases. If you enjoyed the show, please spread the word to fellow language lovers so we can grow the Topper team. And don't go just yet, because once the music fades out, you can stay tuned for Let Me Rephrase, the blooper section I put at the end of every episode. Until next time, Toppers, thank you for being so awesome and for helping me get to this point. Toodaloo! And now... This is... Let me rephrase. All woven into an et et <laughs> all woven into an etymological I don't, I don't think that I, I think I made that word up et etymology an etymological did I make that word up it doesn't say it's spelled wrong so I guess I didn't <laughs> I just can't can't say it etymological why can I say etymology but not etymological etymological so, Mariah told us who and when seven different cyan fiction cyan cyan cyan. So, while there's no official official <laughs> that's official <laughs> sounds like something that happens at water sporting events. The official said that that was a flag on the play. He feels like there's something fishy with it. <laughs> Don't really know what that was just now. Okay. Where the heck was I? I need to find the word official because that's what I missed. Okay, there it is. Because that's the year we find it. Nope, that's not what I wrote. Hanging them above a door. <laughs> but most seem to agree that this trickery took place in Snine. Sn <laughs> Snine. Folks in old-timey times were big believers that the idea that iron... I, I messed that up in so, so many ways. Now, while it would be disgusting if your skin... <laughs> I wrote, if your skin actually had skin. That's definitely not what I meant, though.